The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. The title of our Bible study tonight comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. In my Bible, as I'm sure is the case in yours, that brings us to the conclusion of chapter 11. And uh, if you look at, at there at chapter 12, it, it begins with a parable or a story that Jesus tells of the tenants, uh, the tenants of a vineyard. And, and all of these stories are flowing together. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, what I want to remind you, as we announced on the weekend, is a week from tonight at this service, we'll have a guest speaker. His name is Jonathan Kahn, and so he will be here next week at the Revive service. So we look forward to seeing you there. And one other thing before we begin. I've been here, I came here in 2005, having served at two other churches, at Calvary Chapel La Vista. For three years, I was an administrator in their Christian school as well as an assisting pastor to Pastor Rob Salvato, and then prior to that, I was a youth pastor at Calvary Chapel of Fallbrook. And I re- apart from the size of the sanctuary and the many, many people that I saw, I remember I used to stand up in the youth room and look down, and it just seemed like from first service to second service, there was this tide of people that came in, and then they went out, and they mingled a little together, and they went out, and then the second service came in, and and I'm really kind of a small town kid, and so I was really, really impressed with the, you know, the number of people that came here. And, and one of the things that stuck out in my mind was this, this security team. None of the churches I served in before had a security team, and so that was a little mysterious to me, you know. You know, these guys, you know, with, the, with their coats, and every now and then, like a, you know, like a... Uh, uh, Secret service guy, they talk into their collar. I mean, they look very normal and nice, but, you know, so we had the security team. And as I grew to know them, I grew to appreciate that they're volunteers and they're here for the safety and the security of the church. But, but also I learned that they would, they would minister to people. They would, you know, give direction. And from time to time, you'll see them praying with people, so kind of showing their hearts. And then the ushers here impressed me, and I don't know how you'll feel about this, but at none of the churches that I had before did we have men and women as ushers together. And I thought that was new, that was exciting, and I kind of liked that. Um, as they handed out communion and, and bulletins back in the day. And now we have, we have greeters, and these are those who position themselves at different places on the church campus to welcome people and answer questions. I mean, if you can imagine coming here for the very first time, it is a little overwhelming, even with the signage. I mean, we come in like this is our house, like this is where we belong, but somebody coming for the first time, uh, the uh, greeters have always been uh, so helpful, and so we're appreciative of them. And then lastly, the media team. And, and this really was driven home during the pandemic, I watched this media team do things that were just completely amazing. I watched them, the word back in that time was pivot. I watched them change and pivot, being able to pull things off with all of their knowledge. And so our security team, our ushers, our greeters, and our media team, let's go ahead and give them just our appreciation. You know, with all the gifted people that we have in worship and Pastor Daniel and the administration team and all of that, it's important to remember that there's really nothing that happens around this church without God's Spirit and without the volunteers. 
Well, we've prayed and given you a couple of announcements. Let's go ahead and get into our Bible study. We're talking about the authority of Jesus, and his authority is unique. It's different. When I was growing up, I, had the, I was under the authority of my father, who I, I admired from a very young age. He was, he was strong. He was a construction worker. I remember even as a little guy watching my dad come in at the end of the day and kind of unlace his boots. And, 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 and this might seem kind of weird to you, but I remember that his white socks oftentimes would be, would be stained from the leather, from the perspiration. I remember watching him you know, cha- just take off his, his shirt and then get ready for dinner. I, I remember especially his strong shoulders, his wide shoulders and his strong biceps and how he could pick us up and hold us. And, and there was an authority there that when he spoke, especially when I was young, not so much as an adolescent, but especially when I was young, that there was a strong authority there that I would obey what he asked, what he, what he said. He would certainly have my attention. And when we look at Jesus' authority tonight, it is different and it is unique. We live in a time of the church, where, and it's rightfully so, where, where we're communicated to us that we have Jesus' authority, that he has given to the church, that he has given to his followers an authority to spread the gospel, to, to, to speak to evil spirits and for them to obey and to take the message of the gospel and to present it to the world. But not only do we have the authority that Jesus has delegated to us, my friends, we live under an authority. We choose to live under his authority. No one else's authority, but his authority. By way of introduction, our lesson takes place during the final days. It's it's just a couple of days before Jesus will uh, end his earthly ministry. His disciples have been told again and again at least three times in the Gospel of Mark that he was going to Jerusalem, that he would be betrayed by a friend, that he would be handed over to his enemies, that he would be tried, and then he would be crucified. To hear the very idea that he would be crucified meant that he would die upon a Roman cross that he wouldn't be executed as as the Jews would execute by stoning, but that he would hand it over to Rome. Tonight I want you to see him engaging a backslidden, hypocritical religious system led, led by men who profited financially from positions of power. I want you to see that this is set. It is the way things are. And nobody, nobody would challenge them except Jesus and his authority. Our passage records a confrontation with these men concerning Jesus' power and authority. As a matter of fact, if you were here last week, the point of conflict revolves around Jesus' right to enter into the temple and stop three things from happening. Things that were sanctioned by the religious leaders. As a matter of fact, it was a source of income. It was a source of their (coughs) financial um, benefit. And the first of these was the selling of sacrificial animals, which, which on the surface, when we hear it, we would have thought, well, people, Danny, they're traveling from a long distance. They need to purchase a sacrificial animal, which was true. <coughs> Excuse me. But they would sell them at inflated prices. The second thing that Jesus stopped was the exchanging of currency. As we said last week, oh, <coughs> give me a minute. As we said last week, too, 
You couldn't give an offering in Roman currency because of the, the oftentimes they would have a, an image of Caesar who was worshipped, and so this would be, have been seen as idolatry. And so there was the selling of sacrificial animals, exchanging of currency at an inflated price. And then lastly, Jesus stopped the court being used as a shortcut through Jerusalem. Listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus acted when he cleansed the temple. Jesus acted as though that temple was his, not the religious leaders. And when he did so, when he treated the temple like it belonged to him, like he had an authority in the temple, in essence, what he was saying is that this temple where God dwells is where I dwell. It's my house. As a matter of fact, from verse 17 in Mark chapter 11, Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Who For whom? For all the nations. That is my intent, that people would have a place to come and to worship, worship God, worship me, and that it would be someplace where, that, would, that they would feel comfortable in. And I think the main issue here is that all of these things that we're discussing, all of these things that Jesus stopped was in the court of the Gentiles. It's important for you to know tonight that there are two words in the Greek language that denotes authority. The first is dunamis. You've probably heard that before. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And why? Because you will receive power, authority, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The second word is exousia, which means a right or a privilege. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. Throughout our passage tonight, it is the word exousia that is used. One of the handy websites that I use, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's called Got Questions. And I have this large monitor, and sometimes I have the Bible study that I'm working on. I have a couple other websites, and Got Questions will be one of those other websites. On the websites, it says of authority that exousia is the most often translated, is most often translated as authority or power. Jesus has authority. Jesus has power because he is God. Exousia can also be thought of in terms of jurisdiction or domain over a certain realm. The word domain means supreme authority, absolute ownership right, privilege, or ability. I want you tonight to think, too, that we, that we see Jesus' divine th- authority within these three years that we have of his life. We see him perfectly obeying the Father. My friends, that is what authority looks like. We see it in the temple. We see him healing disease. We see him delivering people from evil. And we see it in his obedience. In his obedience, we see authority, we see power, we see domain. As a matter of fact, you'll remember Jesus' words from John 8, where in verse 31 he says, If you abide, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When you and I live in God's authority, we will be free. We will be free. On the screen you'll see a quote that says, Freedom comes when Jesus is our authority, when he is our power. 
I lived in Vista, 1363 Lagan Avenue. From time to time, I'll go over to North Coast Church to a seminar or workshop. And if I have time, I'll always drive down the streets of our neighborhood. My neighborhood doesn't look as big as it did when I was little. The houses there, they were cute back in the day. They're still cute. They just got weeds growing up all around them. And I drive down, I drive down North Santa Fe, I turn right onto uh, Indian Rock Road, go up two streets, and there I am on Lagan. Go all the way to the cul-de-sac, which is behind Bobier Elementary School. And that's where I was raised. When I look at that house, I think about the man who, who purchased that house without, without really having enough money to. That is my father. And I think of the things that he accomplished in his authority, how he loved his wife, how he raised a family with a fifth grade education. I think about how he worked hard physically. I think about how he, at the age of 58, came over to my house to tell me, son, I have cancer. And I didn't really know much. I was in my 20s. I really didn't know much about what he was telling me. But he told, told me, son, I have cancer. I believe God is going to heal me. But if he doesn't, I want you to take care of your mom. Do you see authority? Do you see authority, how it takes care of others, how, how, how his heart is ready, is always ready to care for those who are under their authority? We see this in Jesus. Freedom, my friend, comes when Jesus is our authority. When you think of Jesus, I want you to remember that in his authority, he touched lepers. That in his authority, he shared meals with known sinners. That is in his authority that he loved outsiders. His authority superseded the expectation, expectations of religious people. He never sanctioned sin, but he embraced sinners. Authority, my friends, my authority has the power to love the unlovable. Jesus' authority is seen in how he freely entered the temple courts and fearlessly confronted greed. That's what we had represented in the selling of sacrificial animals, in the exchanging of currency, and using the temple without disregard. We have at the very core the greed of religion. Jesus wasn't afraid of a demon or a devil. He took on powerful religious systems to liberate those crushed by its impossible requirements. Jesus came to set the captive free. He came to set you and me free. John Piper said, God alone owns us, and God alone rules us. We're not ruled by any man. We are free from all human ownership and rule. You are under the authority of God. Do you have authority? Absolutely. No argument on that. But you are under God's authority. And your God will take care of you. Your God will watch over you and take care of you as you are under his authority. And so we see here Jesus' authority in verses 27 through 33. Jesus' authority in verses 27 and 28 is challenged. Read with me, if you will, in verse 27. It says, And they, that is the disciples, and Jesus came to Jerusalem again. This was his habit through this last week of his life. In the morning he would come into Jerusalem. 
And he was walking in the temple. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Again, a reference to the purging of the temple. And secondly, who gave you this authority? They knew the answer. They knew what he would say. The day is Wednesday of the Passion Week. Jesus specifically, Jerusalem specifically, the temple is filled with those who come to observe Passover. I want you to think that there are thousands and thousands of people in the temple. Verse 27 says of Jesus that he was walking in the temple. Based on Mark's gospel, we might wonder what was he doing? Well, that's a fair question. And we can turn to Luke to find the answer. In Luke chapter 20, verse 1, it tells us, on one of the days while he was teaching the people, so that's what he was doing in the temple, he was teaching the people, and he was preaching the gospel. All the way up to the end of his life, Jesus was communicating, explaining to people the truth of God's word, and he was using the gospel to tell them the fact that he would come and die for their sins. That's what he's doing in the very place that he had previously purged and cleansed the temple. I don't know if you see it, but this authority has no fear. It has no fear of those who are empowered. It has no fear of corruption. It has no fear of religion. Jesus was perfectly calm and at perfect peace in the very place where his enemies had a, had a, a degree of authority. See his freedom in a hostile environment. A little bit more from Luke chapter 20, verse 1, when it tells us the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. The word confronted means to attack him. That is, they come in a very aggressive posture to Jesus. So then he's challenged. Jesus' authority is challenged by the chief priests. I want you to think of those who were current and those who were former high priests. Men, religious men of power. The scribes were experts in the law, lawyers, if you will. Mostly Pharisees. And then the elders. It's important for us to know tonight that these men were representatives of Israel's highest court, a religious court called the Sanhedrin, literally the Seventy. These are the men that within a couple of days he will be standing before and they will accuse him of blasphemy. They will place a sack over his head. They will slap him. They will, they will spit on him. They will, as they put a sack over there, they will take a stick and they will begin to beat him, t- mocking him, telling him, prophesy to us who struck you. These are the very men that Jesus is confronting. They ask, verse 28, by what authority are you doing this? In essence, what they're saying is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What? Do you think you're doing? You are in the wrong. I believe that they knew Jesus would say that his authority came from God because he had said that before. And in doing so, he was making himself equal with God. Even for Jesus to call God Father was saying that I am deity, that I am from my Father. Again, the charge of blasphemy. I want you to remember that in Colossians 1.15, We're told that Jesus is the image, the physical image of the invisible God. And authority reminds you that authority, from the Got Questions uh, website, it means jurisdiction or dominion over a certain realm. 
dominion over a realm. My friends, tonight, Jesus is our authority. He has dominion over you. He has dominion over me. Jesus cleansed the temple by God's authority. God had a problem with the status quo. In John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And as we sit here tonight, as we watch online, we are under God's authority for the purpose of doing his will, not our will. Freedom, liberty, power is found as we walk in his authority. Just a couple of thoughts here for a moment. This leads us to ask, does Jesus have authority in my life? Does Jesus, tonight as we sit here, does he have all authority? Does he have dominion? Does he have dominion over my heart? Does he have the right or the privilege or the ability? Have I given that to him? That's something I must give to him. I must surrender to him if I am to walk in power and freedom. In 1 Corinthians, sometimes this thought might be hard. Our passage reminds us that although the temple in Jerusalem is no more, there is another temple. Listen to uh, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. He asks a question himself. Do you not know that your body, your physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That your body and my body is where God's spirit indwells, has taken up residency. As a matter of fact, when you and I were born again, it is because the spirit came and indwelt us. He changes our nature and our character. You are not your own, for you were purchased, you were bought with a price. For what purpose? To glorify God in your body. Are there places in my life that need to come under God's authority, his dominion, his control? Am I bound by fear? Am I controlled by anxiety? God's authority tonight will loosen the cords of fear and anxiety in your life and my life when we recognize, when we recognize that we are his that we are his, that we, as Jesus said, are in the very palm of his hand. When we, as Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nobody can pluck you out. Nobody can remove you. Nobody can touch you out of the Father's hand. Next, Jesus, in the next section, Jesus counters or turns the table on these men. He exposes hearts that earlier had rejected God's authority through the voice or the message of of John the Baptist. You remember John, very much like Jesus, spoke directly to the religious leaders. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 3. It says, but in verse 7, it says, But when he, John the Baptist, saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. These people travel from comforts of Jerusalem out east down into the Jordan Valley and find themselves listening to a man who's preaching the gospel of repentance. He's speaking of one who would come after him. 
And he's baptizing literally thousands and thousands of people. And as they come into the Jordan River, these people are confessing their sins publicly. It's important for you to remember that Jews were not baptized. Jews had washings. They had washings, but it would be for a Gentile who was becoming Jewish to be baptized. You can imagine the humility that each one of these people, and as they go into the water, John is, is speaking to them. Repent, prepare yourself for the one who is coming after me, whose, whose shoes I am not worthy to untie. Listen to me, my friends, tonight. Prepare your heart for the one who has God's authority because he is God. Prepare yourself to be liberated and set free from the bondage of religion and from the kingdom of darkness. And my friends, when we do that, it happens. It happens. It's a surety. It is a surety, I believe. Jesus' authority, verses 29 and 30, counters the religious leaders. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven, or was the baptism or the authority of John from man? And he says again, answer me, tell me. You are the teachers of Israel. You are the rulers of Israel. You are the ones who have control over this temple that is God's house, that is my house. But you tell me. You want answers from me about authority? You tell me. Rabbis oftentimes would answer questions with questions. That frustrates me. I mean, if you ask a question, like, you know, if you, and you get a question, it's like, no, I, just, I want the answer. You're looking at the world's most impatient man. I want the answer now. And yet Jesus, like so many rabbis, would respond with another question. He wanted to create tension. He wanted people to think. He wanted to engage these learned men of Israel. Jesus' answer would be found in the religious leader's answer as to the source of John the Baptist's authority. In other words, who sent John? Who sent the prophet that ended 400 years of silence from the conclusion of the old covenant? 400 years where there were no visions, no dreams. 400 years where there were no prophets, there was no scripture, there was nothing that was inspired. 400 years of silence. All of a sudden, that silence was shattered by one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Who sent John? Tell me, Jesus says. Who sent John? You tell me. Jesus commands them, answer me. David Guzik writes of this passage. When Jesus asked them to answer the question regarding John the Baptist, he was not evading their question. If John really was from God, then he was, he was right about Jesus, and Jesus was indeed the Messiah. John was the one that said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what, what Jesus is saying, Did you believe John? Did you believe his message? He was not only preaching a message, he was a message. He looked like an Old Testament disciple, uh, a prophet. He, he spoke like a prophet. 
He lived a life consecrated to the Lord, never having let a razor touch his hair. And I wish I could not let a razor touch my hair. I wish I had hair, not let a razor touch my hair. He had this unique diet. He had been consecrated from the womb to God. And Jesus said, who is he? Answer me. Remember, my friends, tonight, God asked Adam in Genesis 3, where are you? Where are you? For some of you in this room tonight, some of you watching online or watch this this service at another time, God cries out into this world, where are you, Adam? Where are you? Not because he didn't know where Adam was, but because God wanted Adam, given Adam an opportunity to confess his sin. When God asked Cain in Genesis chapter 4, where is Abel your brother? He wanted to set him free from sin's dominion. You see, God's authority is a source of shelter from sin's power. It liberates us from sin's control. In the last section, we see in verses 31 through 33, Jesus' question about the Baptist conflicts those who challenged his authority. Men who ruled others feared being ruled by Jesus. Let's talk about that just for a second. We're almost done. You do not have to fear God's authority in your life. You do not have to see it as restrictive. You do not have to see God's authority, that is, his dominion in your life, as anything other than the door that will set you free from the bondage of darkness and spiritual oppression. My friends, the power of God, the love of God, comes as we submit to his authority. Men who ruled others feared being ruled by Jesus. Verses 31 through 33, Jesus' authority leaves his his enemies conflicted. Conflicted. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say that John's authority was from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? And when he asked him, why didn't he believe him, is why didn't you believe what he said about me? For you see that it settled in their heart that they would have rejected Jesus. He will say, then why didn't you believe him? Verse 32, but shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, Mark tells us, for they, all, for they the people, all held that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so what we have together are these very learned men, these very powerful men, and they circle up and they begin to discuss each other. They begin to run through the scenario. They begin to figure it out, to play it out. Mark tells us why in verse 32, they were afraid of the people. Do you want to see what their authority, do you want to see what their authority, how it ruled over them, this authority, this flex, this muscle, this spiritual muscle, this this influence they had with the people and with the Romans? Do you see this money-making business where it gave them? They were afraid of the people. Remember, there were thousands of people, Passover uh, uh, observers that were there, but they were afraid of them. Why? Because the people believed that John was a prophet. And so they find themselves in this in this conflict. They feared being discredited, losing face and esteem and respect before the people. And my friends, tonight I want you to hear me on this. This is hypocrisy. 
how we need to be set free to be who we are before all people. Where we don't have to worry about having our best foot forward. That we can be who we really are. Do you see what God's authority sets you free to be? To be who you are. To speak truth in love. We're almost done. I want you to see phonies here. I want you to see people who are fakes. Again, hypocrites. Wanting others to believe that they were close to God when they were not close to God. Instead of asking, what does God think about this, valuing his authority, the first thing they think is, what will the people say? In Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fear of what others think causes us to wear a mask, a disguise. We hide behind an image. We hide behind a vocabulary, behind an image, behind a mask. And yet, we are not free. We are in bondage. Jesus' authority will set us free. For Solomon tells us that trusting in Jesus is a safe place. And this, my friends, is the authority God wants you to live in tonight, you that are watching online, to step out behind the mask, to lay down the external image, and to be set free by Jesus. Marshall Siegel, in an article on Desiring God website, uh, John Piper's website, writes, We must find our refuge not in the praise and approval of one another, but in the arms and heart of heaven. Jesus tells us the secret to being fear, free is to fear reverence God. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and afterwards have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed you has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Seems harsh, but it's true. Who are you living for? Under whose authority do you order the behavior and the attitudes of your life, my friends? You will not, if you live under God's authority, you will not be put to shame. If you fear the loss of someone or something, maybe your health, a possession, or a relationship, I want you to know that everybody in this room, everybody that's watching online can relate. We can understand because that is our fear as well. Please know that Jesus used his authority to give us in the cross a platform to cling to God. Our sins removed allow us to come to God in an honest, raw prayer to him, telling him that we're afraid, telling him what our concern is. He holds us until the storm of anxiety subsides and it passes. That's what Jesus' authority brings us tonight. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.